You're listening to Heart of the Hunter, a serialized fantasy novel set in Koronai, the magical country. The story was written and performed by Sam Chubb. For more information about this podcast, including upcoming role-playing game releases associated with this novel, check out heartofthehunter.com. Now, please enjoy Heart of the Hunter. Chapter 25 A quiet knock from one of Sir Valadane's squires woke Peter early the next morning, and he slid out of bed and into his riding clothes. Swigging from stirrup cups full of mulled cider and crunching crusty sidle rolls, the hunting party mounted up before even the first rays of the sun began to show. Kennel was astride his horse, a pensive expression on his face. Peter nodded to him, smiling, clasping hands with the green ward quietly. Sir Valadane was ready as well, and the three men led the way. Sir Valadane's squires and bachelor knights following them. They traveled up the road for a time, making their way out of the Tenuvial compound proper, heading to the northernmost reaches of the Count's lands. They followed the marchward road for a time, and then Kennel told them they would get a better yield from the hunt if they split the parties into two-by-twos, fanning out together and being sure to come back by the same trace, so that they would not fall into the hunting area of another. A hunter's camp was set up to provide a base of operations, and bright crimson kerchiefs were handed out to the men to alert their fellow hunters by sight. Peter was paired with Sir Valadane at the knight's request, and they began to slowly make their way through the northeasterly track assigned to them. The brush became far too thick to stay mounted, so they tethered their horses and made way on foot. It wasn't long until Peter had found out to cover his own area of the forest. He found himself admiring the peace of the Lunargenti countryside, the natural, untouched beauty of it all. Many of the old forests of Yar had been uprooted to serve the needs of farmers, but not so in Lunargen. Taking on the quiet inner patience of a hunter, he made as little noise as possible as he moved through the brush. A motion in the brush alerted Peter, who saw a flash of red at the throat of the target and gave a cry. The two-leg ran from the bush and froze as he came upon Peter. The bandage the poor fellow had made for himself was stained crimson and he sank quickly to his knees in surrender. "'Please do not kill,' he said in halting trade. "'Here now, what's this? You look amiss. You're bleeding. Are you a hunter that's been hit?' Peter asked, but kept his crossbow at ready hand. "'Please not to kill! Please not to kill!' it repeated in trade. "'Bark it! Bark it! Please! Do not kill!' Peter was about to kneel down and speak with him when he heard another sound that set him on alert. Loud clatter and curses came from the other side of the thicket, and a group of three fully armed and armored men came stumbling into the clearing. Hey, who are you? You don't look like Tenuvial's lot, Peter said, keeping his crossbow at the ready, remembering tales of bandits. 
Ah, good. You caught him. <sighs> good work, Footman. You can leave him to us, the largest of the three said, doffing his helm. He was a tall, robust Lunargenti in what might best be described as poorly fitting armor. A formal but stained and threadbare surcoat fit over his mail. Peter couldn't make out the blazon on his standard. The being between them had the soft body fur of an augrim, a nail tongue, with the shape and face of a Lunargenti. He cowered on the forest floor now, shivering all over in fear, his clothing clearly a rough mix of cast-offs from peasants. He was unarmed, and had been running and cut at the neck, crimson blood spilling across his undyed homespun bandage. Peter turned back to the armored man. I don't know you, Blazon. I'd be in the field hunting for Thnuviel. Where did you fellows come from? I am Sir Garrick, footman. We be in the prosecution of our duties, sirrah, in the way of keeping the borderlands. This be an interloper here. Peter scoffed, looking at the interloper. He's barely a man, maybe a boy. You can't tell me he threatens three such worthies as yourself. He be nail-tongue. We're just cleaning up the trash, as the Count requires, Garrick protested. To make bargain! To make bargain! The nail-tongued boy said in trade. Do not kill! Please, do not kill! Silence your chattering musk-mouth, or I'll silence it for you! Garrick threatened, raising his heavy mace in response. Something broke in Peter, then and he leveled his crossbow in the men's direction. Put down your weapon, mister. He's unarmed, wounded, and much smaller than you. Ain't done anybody a bit of harm. So I say again, put it down, or I'll put it down for ye. Who are you to order me about? My master's Hunt Creek, and you be nothing. I be the man with the crossbow aimed at you. Now ease down. You be nothing more than a brigand yourself, I'll warrant. No smotling Yarian's gonna order me and mine about. So, I second his request. Stand down, came the voice of Sir Valadane behind Peter, who just then remembered to breathe. The knight lowered his mace and turned his attention to Valadane. Greetings, knight of Tenuville. I be Sir Garrick. Of the barony Hunt Creek, I serve that worthy baron as knight marshal, I do. Greetings, Garrick. This is Sergeant Coldpond, a guest of Tunuviel, and I am proud to carry the banner of Valadane. Care to explain what you are about this day? Valadane took in the Hunt Creek men in front of him. They were dressed as if they had been on the hunt, their horses wickering not far from them at the top of the hill. They clearly dismounted to clear the brush, as he and Peter had done. "'We be chasing an invader, sir,' Garrick said, his eyes hard. "'The Count charges your master with high justice, and lo, it's true,' Sir Valadane said. "'And protection of the borders. But he has forbidden hunting speaking beings for sport, which you've clearly done.' 
the man said, looking down at the shivering half-Agrim, who began to speak in quiet nail. Peter's eyes grew wide as he heard and understood what the boy said, picking out only one or two words in nail, but it was enough to recognize terror. One of Garrick's men produced a Dracon pistol, aimed it at the boy's head, and pulled the trigger. The slug would have pulped the boy's brain, but for the fact that Peter was there, and the shock of a bolt from Peter's crossbow pushed the man back so that the burn of the pistol resulted in an explosive report that went over Peter's head, the bullet missing wide. Peter, unarmored and swift, kicked the man with the dracon over, while at the same time Valadane punched Garrick's other man. The two retainers strove to gain their feet, but Garrick interfered immediately. Hold, boys! Hold! He's got us, Garrick said, dropping his mace and holding up his hands. What's the fine, constable? Garrick said, contempt dripping from his mouth. Ten crowns? I got it in my coin purse right here. Belladine spat on the ground and swore under his breath before responding. This is no longer about a fine, Sir Garrick. This is now high justice. Attempted murder. I wasn't aiming at you, the pistolier said, sneering. I'm speaking about the attempted murder of one under the crown's protection of citizenry. He turned to the cowering nail-tongue. Where were you born, boy? Rusk, born here, near a creek, the boy said quietly. Rusk work? Rusk not steal? Rusk work and get food? Take care of midden cart? Keep coop clean. Valadine nodded. So, you're a citizen as far as I'm concerned. Will you come with us for a time, sirrah, so that you may speak to our master? He asked the boy, who nodded, but did not speak. A group of squires and a few other hunters arrived then, having heard the gunshot. Ah, excellent. Looks like your escort is here, Garrick. Garrick was furious. Surely you're not going to believe his testimony over mine. And what about your man there? He shot my man. Look, he's bleeding. Valadane nodded. They'll deal with that back at the camp. If you're nice, we may let you see the healer. If you're not, the battle children will have to do. And the boy's testimony will be sound. And tested against the best truth-sensing we have available to us. Never you fear. Garrick spat on the ground but said nothing, and the three men were soon tied with improvised bonds and brought back to camp. Peter, Valadane, and the boy called Rusk, following behind. They were soon back at the temporary encampment the hunting party had made. Valadane bowed to Kennel's authority in these matters, as both Greenward and the nephew of the Count he held rank over the banner at night. Kennel listened to the story of the encounter from Peter, nodding as he did, as one of the field medics saw to Rusk's injury. I don't know about you, Kennel, but if it were me, I'd be wanting to go check out that Hunt Creek pace. The boy was talking about some pens he was in. 
Do you think they were breeding nail tongues for sport, Peter? Kennel asked. Peter nodded. As disgusting as that sounds, yeah, I think it may be true. The little fellow is on and on about it. It sounds like they are using him as slave labor when they weren't chasing him and his kind around. As the afternoon light made dapples in the forest floor, Kennel spent a few minutes with each of the three Hunt Creek men and spoke with Rusk in Nail for a time. He then turned and came back to the center of camp. His eyes were hooded and solemn. I'm afraid you were right, Peter. He turned to soldiers who seemed to be waiting his word. All right, string them up. That tree there looks likely. And get ready to meet with a patrol force heading for Hunt Creek. We're going to divert to go pay the Baron a visit. You're going to do what? Peter asked. Kennel turned back to Peter. We don't abide with slavers in our lands. We don't abide with men who treat even nail tongues as chattel goods. Yes, there are bondsmen and there are peasants and not everyone is noble. But I won't have this slavery and neither will my uncle in our lands. Peter thought about this as the preparations for the hanging immediately commenced. He stood close to the green ward and spoke low. I've killed plenty of nail tongue in me time, Kennel. Kennel nodded. You may have killed them in a fight, Peter, fair or otherwise, but you never systematically imprisoned them, broke their will, raped them, starved them and then force them to flee before you in some kind of perverse hunting party. And that's what these men have done. I have weighed the truth of these words, and I believe Rusk. Peter was speechless. It was a long ride back to Tenuvial House after. Though Peter and Valadane's hunt had come to an end, other hunters had managed to take some bucks, and the game cart followed them, nearly full of venison to be dressed and butchered. But Peter couldn't get out of his mind the look on the face of the criminals as they dangled there from their hanging tree. He and Valadane had ridden in silence for a long time, two by two, though toward the ends of the ride the silence was broken by Kennel's voice in Peter's mind, a connection through the Brotherhood. Hunt Creek no longer has a baron, Peter. I cannot believe... That. Well, let's just say that cleaning house has been too long in coming. So the steward was raising half-nails as slaves? It's worse than I thought, Peter. Much worse. We've hanged the steward. I've called for backup troops to help restore order here. The secrets that can be hid in a place like this. It's... Terrible. Now, at least, the balance will start to heal. I should never have allowed a steward to rule my personal lands, no matter what my duty is to the tree keepers. I'm afraid I'm going to have to stay here eventually. I don't know of anyone else who will be able to protect these nail, these people, who have been imprisoned. I had no idea you were the Count's nephew till today. 
But I have to agree. If you're gonna have peace in that place, you need to be there to see over it a while. I don't suppose you'd like to take up the job of Night Marshal? Kennel asked with amusement in his voice. Peter's inward laugh made him outwardly smile. I ain't no knight. Plus, I've already got a job, and I never break a contract. Well, mostly never. Anyway, as soon as I've paid off the HOM from me dad, I'll look you up. <laughs> See if you could use a bit of Yarian wisdom. I'll hold you to that, Peter. Thank you. For what? For exposing this. For stopping it. And for not allowing the boy to be killed out of hand. How is he? Rusk? He'd be fine. He'd be driving the game cart. Said he wanted to help. I think he's taking a liking to me. And hardly a boy. More like a young man. We're taking him back to the house with us. Get him looked at by a healer. Good man. Well, I have my work cut out for me. Please take care of yourself, Peter. I'll be back at Tenuviel tomorrow morning. Aye, you take care as well. Light go with you. The spirit tie between them broke then, and Peter and Valadin continued to ride along their thoughts to themselves. Chandra adored her nook between floors in the house. Curled up in the little cupola in House Tenuviel, with some rich red and gold purloined pillows from Arryn's pavilion to soften the stone, it was the perfect place to relax and read the Amishkin romances she'd come to enjoy. Today, though, she found that the overcast sky was making it hard to see. Cupping her hand as she'd been taught, Chandra relaxed and tried to will her mind to summon the energy she'd managed just the night before. Try as she might, however, she just couldn't. She shuddered in frustration and cursed to herself. Don't try so hard, Cariath, came a familiar voice, and Chandra looked up to see Dame Lanwin standing there, she hadn't heard her arrive, but was happy to see her. Lanwin cupped her hands around Chandra's and smiled. Relax and let it happen. Pretend as if it had already occurred. Confidence does count in these things, you know. All at once, a red-gold light blossomed in Chandra's hands. Yes, now cool it as I showed you. Lanwin said, smiling, and float it over your head. If you're to be reading, you don't want the glare getting in your eyes. Chandra turned the light a soft shade of blue and moved it gently up over her head, giggling as she did. Thank you so much. It's so frustrating not to being able to do something you know you can do. Practice. Practice and motivation. These two things will assist you greatly in your quest for knowledge and art, Lanwin said, smiling. May I ask you a question, Dame Lanwin? Chandra asked. You may, and another into the bargain, Lanwin said, smiling. You're not real, are you? Chandra asked. 
She looked thoughtful. I think I understand that now. Lanwin cleared her throat. <laughs> yes, well, <sighs> it's not polite to mention it, my dear. I'm just as real as you are. Chandra was mildly shocked that she'd offended her teacher. Your pardon, my lady, I... You mean that I have no physical body. That, for one, is a truth. But is it required that I have flesh and blood? Indeed. I would think that you would welcome a teacher who can guide you whenever you wish it. It seems strange to me, but I suppose you're right. My dear, with the Aryans, every form of magic is strange. Forgive me. I do not hold them the less for it, but the Yars exist in a world full of spirits, and they see it not. They are just as affected by the power of that world as any other, and yet they refuse to acknowledge its power, because it may threaten the certainty of the light. And yet, to me, I feel closer to that source of all illumination than I ever did when I had a body. Is it true what the lantern tales say, that you are like a ghost, a being caught between life and death? To be true, child, I am not completely certain. I do not spend much time questioning the blessing of my awareness. It is true that I am lonely betimes, but I would not trade it for the other. I am sorry, my lady, you appear to be upset, and I didn't wish... Shh, child, that is fine. Let us turn our thoughts to pleasanter things. Did you enjoy your wound show, man, the other night? Chandra blushed and stammered. What? The wound show, what is his name? Arin. I beg your pardon, I did nothing of the kind. He feels much for you, you know. And what does that mean? Do you claim to know his heart? I don't claim this is a foretelling, but as a woman, I can tell by the way he looks, by the positioning of his body in relation to you. One does not live well at court if one doesn't learn to read such details. Let's just keep this conversation to magic, and to whether you're real. Do you pretend that I'm some figment of your mind, as if... At that moment, a page came up the stairs carrying a tray... Hello, miss. Mama Rosa said you'd perhaps like some tea? For a moment, Chandra just stood and observed quietly. Miss Chandra, should I leave the tray here? The page asked, wide-eyed. Oh, yes, yes, please. Thank you. When the page left, Chandra rounded on Lanwin. He couldn't see you! Do you think that I'm for everyone? My dear Chandra... As a teacher of magic, I have long resigned myself to the truism that I will not, cannot, know everything. What I know is very simple, really. I know that I can see you, sense you, perceive you, and you can do the same with me. How is that accomplished? It's not important to me. Chandra thought about that for a long moment, sighed, and then folded her hands in her lap. Very well, teacher. Teach me. Lanwin smiled and sat down on an empty chair. Very well, then. I shall. 
I wonder if you'd given thought to the properties of magical reversal, Manuin began, and Chandra put aside her book, folded up her magical reading glasses, and listened intently as her teacher taught. Count Tenuviel summoned Raven to his privy chamber as soon as Kirsten reported she was awake and had broken her fast. Standing before him, in her repaired and cleaned leathers, she looked like an entirely different sort of woman than she had when he had first laid eyes on her in his treasury. Mariel was in conference with him as Raven arrived. "'Oh, your, your pardon!' Your Excellency, I was told you wanted to see me, Raven said, turning to leave. Mariel smiled to the Count and turned back to Raven. We were just wrapping up, she said quietly. Actually, Raven, I wanted to ask a favor of you, if you don't mind, the Count began. I didn't take anything from your treasury, my lord, I promise. I did enjoy looking at things, but I wouldn't dare. No, it's not that although I am curious as to why you were able to get past what was clearly a functioning ward. I have my theories, but I wanted to ask Holiness Malayan here to resolve the issue for once and all. Yeah? Okay. Will it hurt? Raven asked. No, of course not, Lady Raven. Will you give me your hand, just for a moment? Raven reached out, and Mariel took her hand, smiling into her eyes for a few heartbeats. She didn't feel a thing other than the priestess' soft, sure grip. Mariel nodded to the Count then and smiled. I believe our theory has been proven, she said. Please wait a moment. I'll be right back, she said, and quickly left the audience chamber. Count Tenuviel turned back to Raven. The rains have ceased. How long do you think it will be before your company departs? It's up to Peter. I'm just a hired grunt, really. Hardly a grunt, if I understand your title. Scouts can scarcely be so. Why is it that you always do that? Do what? Correct me. You're always telling me I've got it wrong. Don't you know just by looking at me, that just gets under my skin? Ah, yes, well, it's a bad habit of mine. I'm sorry, your father also thought so. My fa- What do you mean, my father? I mean the man who was your sire. Would you like to meet him? He arrived early this morning. Raven was stunned. Unable to move, she was caught suddenly between a need to run and a need to launch herself in attack. The Count did not move. I can assure you he very much wishes to see you. Raven's eyes slitted. This is some kind of trick. The Count shook his head once emphatically. No, Raven. I would not joke or trick about such a thing. Shall I ask him to come in? He said, gesturing to a waiting door. Raven crossed her arms, then turned towards the door. Go ahead. The door opened, and Raven got the second shock of her already surprising morning. Kennel was standing there. For a moment she just stood, staring, noting perhaps for the first time 
that the color of his hairs and hers was the same blue-black. Hello, Cariath, Kenel said, a hand extended to her in friendship. Long has it been. Yeah, I guess my mother could have said the same. You bastard. Where have you been? Do you know how long we struggled in Blackpool? What we had to do to survive? You fucking bastard. For many years, your mother kept your existence from me. I had no idea you were born. She had made it quite clear she wanted nothing more to do with me. I heard rumors after that, but I had it on good authority you were in good hands. It is now only through a series of interesting coincidences that I discovered you at all. Interesting, huh? Well, what then? Have you satisfied your curiosity? Raven said, her emotions hot. Some part of her was surprised somewhat at the bile that was pouring up, but she did nothing to stop it. Please, Cariath. Don't call me that! What does that mean? I'm not a frickin' loony. I don't fancy your jabber. What do you want from me? Cariath, Meaden's child of the heart. You are my child. The blood confirms it, as Holiness Malayan just discovered. You are my child, and that means something in this place at this time. If you want it to cease meaning anything, then that is your choice also. But I swear, I will swear, if need be, on the cremave of my people, that I did not lie in this when I told you that I did not know of your life. For whatever reason, your mother thought it best to conceal your presence in this world from me. Even then, I have found you have been in a way cared for by kin of my kin. But now I am here to say that I am your father, and I want nothing from you other than an opportunity to show you what that means. She turned and looked at the Count, who just stood there, stony, silent as a statue. I don't want anything from either of you. Don't you see? I work. I get paid. And that's that. I don't owe anyone anything. Except for that which you procure through less honest means, Kennel asked quietly. I have spoken to friends about you, you see. Raven scoffed. You don't think that's work? <laughs> You've never procured anything. Trust me. It's no walk in Mirror Pond Park, I don't doubt you. But is it not true that you have powerful enemies? The Quadong, for example. How did you... I didn't say anything about that. I didn't tell you anything. Raven, it is in me and mine to know. More importantly, it is in my power to do something to help. You truly do not think that your killing one of their own will stop them? They will hunt you, relentlessly from now on. At best, you will never be able to return to the city. At worst, there is no place you are safe. It is possible that the Quadong has already marked you for death, for attention from their night walkers. Bring them on. I'll give them what I gave the man who killed my mother. Melangel, Kennel began, moving toward her. In a flash, a blade, raven-claw hilt shining in the morning light, pressed against her father's throat. She held it stock still. You, you do not call me that. I am raven. 
got to me. Kenhill did not move, nor did he blink. I do not fear your blade or your hate, Karyath. I do not expect anything from you. Only that you let me, let your family assist you. My family is dead, Looney, Raven spat. It is only if you wish it. If you have eyes to see and ears to hear, you will know the truth, that you are not alone. Nay, you have never been alone. Throughout your life, you have been watched and cared for. Throughout your life, there have been those kin of my heart who made it their business to make sure that you did not come to ill. Yeah, and the fucking street fairy was my godmother. Tell me another one. Do you think, truly, that a catson, a dame of the call, a mistress of grace and mystery, would for one moment spend a breath on a half-loon kitling like yourself? Did you think that a child like yourself, running the streets of Blackpool, could ever survive such a place without some horrible end if there was no one watching you? You have been cared for from the shadows during every heartbeat. Look at my neck, and tell me, Raven, what you see there. She glanced down and saw a beautiful pendant hanging from the chain around his neck. She never noticed it before, but today it seemed prominent. Now, now you see. Genza Ratcatcher has one, doesn't she? Your mother had one, though she rarely used it. What? What does it mean? Raven said, lowering her blade, dropping it so that it flashed out of existence. It is about the balance, Raven. Something you've observed all your life, about how the powers that be struggle, but it is only when they are thrown far out of balance that they are dangerous. You know the rhythm of the street and how that too has its own balance. You have watched Ginza dispense her kind of justice throughout your life. And I am here to ask, will you join us? Will you stand against the horror of the dark? Will you fight against the tyranny of the light? Will you join us, the family you have missed for all this time? The family who has not been able to tell you how they truly feel, what they truly are, until this moment. Please, my daughter, do not let your mother's death mean you are lost to us, too. Then Raven lost herself in her father's arms, inexplicable tears staining the fabric of his cloak. Kennel nodded to his uncle then, and the Count joined their now wordless embrace. Peter found Valadane in the Cayley house that night, a number of his men standing at his side. The men were in full arms and armor, with perfectly shined and polished mail, their house tenuvial surcoats resplendent without stain or blemish. They looked expectant and a little nervous. "'Oh, sorry, you sent a page for me. I was just about to turn in for the night,' Peter began. Valadane nodded. I'm sorry about that, Peter. 
we would have done this another time, but by the weather's clearing and the news I heard that your factor is on his way back to the compound from the Arendani, I would say that this will be the last time we can do this, so... Do what, Zerbi? I mean to offer you the accolade, Valdane said. What? What is that? What do you mean? You have to be made a knight, Peter. You can, eh? Oh, yes, I can. And these knights here say so as well. We can offer, but only you may accept, Peter. I don't have the pretty horse, the steel, what not. That's not necessary, and you know it, Peter. If you'd like to think on it, that would be fine. We have all night. But why? Peter, you were a squire. You served a knight for a time, did you not? I. You carried horses, carried weapons, stood up for your man. You've been bloodied in battle. Aye, I have. But it, what are the damn hardtack knights and... Doesn't matter. Chivalry is chivalry. You are of the age of majority, are you not? Aye, but... And you have this day demonstrated bravery, honor, judgment, befitting a knight of the realm. I've what? How do you figure? Valadane gestured around him. This here court of chivalry you see, gathered, has so determined, Peter, you have but to accept. And I would, myself, be very honored if you would allow me to knight you. Will you, Peter? Peter's world turned on end. The hardened mercenary in him wanted to turn and walk out. But somewhere in him there was still a little boy who'd made it his dream to put on the spurs and be dubbed a knight of the realm. These men were honorable, Peter realized. These men were not like the knights he'd known. They'd made justice happen in the case of Rusk, defended the weak, used their strength sparingly but well. Peter sunk to his knees in front of Valadane and nodded. I, I will, he said. Valadane drew his shining broadsword then and put the flat of the blade on both shoulders one at a time. Now by the power vested in me by Her Majesty the Queen, Aluna Guildmoon of the Silver Forests, I hereby dub thee knight. May the moon always light your darkness. May the sun always show your honor, and may the stars be a witness to your glory everlasting. So mote it be. Rise, Sir Peter Goldpont. The men gathered, applauded, and Peter stood, grinning as they came forward, one by one, congratulating him and clapping him on the back. The next day dawned bright and cool. All hint of storm clouds to the west had vanished. Jurgen had returned the evening before and had withdrawn to his chamber, sleeping many hours as a result of his exhausting stay among the Arendani. Alabar and Mariel spent the morning in meditation on the roof of the temple. Waking while the sun still slept, they had made their way to the rooftop altar to greet the rising sun. 
As the sun rose, they began a ritual of greeting, which filled them with a renewed measure of the light. Holding on to him in the morning breeze, Mariel gave Alabar a kiss in farewell, one he gently returned. Already the mood had shifted between them again. No longer were they lovers, but again both priest and priestess. Mariel caressed Alabar's cheek one final time, and then the veil came down between them again. It was a bittersweet feeling to Alabar, who had grown quite fond of the priestess in a short period of time, but he understood why it must be. I should like to see you again, Alabar whispered. Yes, Alabar, we will see each other again. I just wish we had more time together. She nodded softly. It is truth what they say, Alabar. Of love there is no ending, and it is only time that keeps us apart. And it is possible that there will be more time for us. May it be so. But that time is not today. Yes, Mariel. Holiness. Oh, Alabar. Patra. I will ever hold you in my heart, Mariel said, reaching out with her hand. As will I, you, Alabar said, squeezing her hand. Alabar, be careful. The dream you had. Things are not well at Rathurkin. I fear what you may find in Irontown may be. Alabar nodded, placed his finger on her lips. Yes, my dear. I know. The dream I had was quite real in its way. I'm afraid that Father Jacob has returned to the light. She nodded, sad, but trying to smile. We're all taught that to return to the light is to return home, that sunlit place from which all bright souls come. May it be so that we are reunited with him come the day. Alabar nodded. Yes, may it be so. And do not think that you are ever again alone, Mariel sent through her spirit connection with the Brotherhood, "'touching her pendant. "'Alabar's eyes went wide, and he smiled. "'Magic! "'I finally have some. "'The Aelors would not like this one bit, Holiness,' "'he sent back, wordlessly touching his pendant as well. "'If we had more time, Patra, "'I would show you quite a few things the Aelors would not like. "'But that will be for another time,' she sent, her inner voice amused. Alabar took Mariel's hand then, and kissed it softly, and spoke aloud his blessing on her. Bless you now, holiness. Bless you in the name of the light and the everlasting prism. Bless you, Patra, by the lady, the moon, and the sea. I bless you and all that you touch, or do, with her love in your heart. Thank you, holiness. Thank you indeed. "'Shall we go and see what Rosa has to break our fast?' Mariel said, smiling, and the two departed the rooftop shrine, holding hands with childlike glee. "'You've been listening to Heart of the Hunter, a Coronai Chronicles story. Heart of the Hunter is brought to you by the Fireheart Foundry family of podcasts. Fireheart Foundry also produces 
Fledgling, a Leiden Universe science fiction novel by Sharon Lee and Steve Miller. The Bears Grove Podcast. Dragonkin, the podcast for kids and gaming. The Square One Podcast. And Vibrant Living. Find out more about the Fireheart Foundry at fireheartfoundry.com. This podcast is brought to you under a Creative Commons attribution, no derivatives, no commercial use, license 2.5. Music is provided by the Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. Thanks for listening, and we invite you back to our fire real soon.